0: Uh, Did you hear any any good names? Any good name meanings? Nothing. No one. Oh, how disappointing. (laughs) Do you even know what your names mean? I guess not. Do you know what my name means? Mark means warlike. Warlike, yes. It's from the uh, Roman god Mars, the Roman god of war. I'm not very warlike. Uh... As we consider some names today, particularly names in the scriptures, let's begin by praying together. Please pray, please pray with me. Our loving Father, thank you very much that you do speak to us by your word and your spirit. Please help us to hear carefully tonight uh, what, uh, what you are saying by your word. And please help us to follow Jesus. Amen. Uh, some people have names that describe them perfectly. Warlike might not describe me perfectly, but my wife's name is Lucy, and that means light. And she is luminous, isn't she? She's so lovely. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. There are better ones out there. Ali's going to show us a couple of re- really good names. There's John Burns, arson suspect. <laughs> it goes both ways. Lieutenant Les McBurney, fire department. Yes. Uh, David Waterhouse, houseboat owner. <laughs> Alan Toogood, Samaritans volunteer. <laughs> Oh, there's uh, the runner, Aaron Farr, which reminds me of Usain Bolt, the runner, yeah. Uh, Paul Swinghammer is a builder, isn't that great? Uh, P.C. Rob Banks from the police department. That's kind of the opposite, actually, isn't it? Unless he is robbing banks, I don't know. Surely his parents noticed that one at some point. What else? Dan Rivers by the river, that's beautiful. And uh, Pam Graves, archaeologist, yes. And, oh, this was recent. Do you remember this one? Phil McCann, reporting on the fuel shortage. No cans were filled that day. That was my favourite. That was a couple of months ago. Uh, do you know that Jesus' name describes him perfectly, too? Jesus' name describes him perfectly. And Jesus' name tells you why you need to find out more about him on campus this year. Uh, this term at uni church, we're reading Matthew's biography of Jesus. Here in chapter one of, of uh, Matthew, he introduces us to this baby. The baby is named Jesus. And it is an important name. It's the Christmas story, but because it's not Christmas, hopefully that means we come at it with with fresh eyes, uh, ready to see why Jesus' name makes him the most important person in the universe. So uh, Ali's going to show you where we're going tonight. Uh, The outline a miracle birth, a boring name, and a fulfilled sign. It's also in your subject outline. If you're a note taker, you'll find it in there. So uh, let's begin with point one, a miracle birth. And last week, we read uh, the first 17 verses of Matthew's Gospel together, this list of Jesus' ancestors. And we discovered that it's the royal family tree. It's telling us um, that, that Jesus is from the line of the great King David. So there's this pattern all the way down. This father had this son. This father had this son. This father had this son. But right at the end, there's a change in the pattern, in verse 16. Did I give this to you as a slide, Ali? Verse 16. Uh, And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Christ. It goes, Dad fathered son, whose wife mothered Jesus. It's a break in the pattern. It's a break in the pattern. Uh, And we're left with this question, well, why exactly did this strange birth happen? How did it happen? And... uh, Matthew, anticipating this question, he gives us the answer in verse 18. So look in verse 18 of our passage tonight. How did this happen, Matthew? Well, he says, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Well, that's a strange birth, isn't it? Before they come together, she is found pregnant. At least this is what you do as a reproductive technician, isn't it? You get yeah, close. Uh, cows get pregnant without the bull. This, this is actually a bit different. You don't need the glove for this. Because it doesn't say anything about artificial insemination in the text, does it? No. In fact, what does it say? Mary was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. That's not what you were doing. No, good. Thank you. Mary's pregnant from the Holy Spirit, which is totally bizarre. We are we, reading Matthew's Gospel, so we know that this um, conception comes from God somehow. We don't know how. But Joseph... Well, Joseph's a character in the story, so he doesn't know what's, what's going on. Now, Joseph and Mary at this stage, they're engaged to be married, um, uh, much like Matt and Alicia. Uh, but in their culture, it's, it's more of a binding agreement, so it's a kind of a legal agreement. So in my translation... Sometimes it says husband, but a better word is fiancé. Imagine what Joseph is thinking. He knows that he hasn't slept with his fiancé and he knows that she's pregnant. What's he thinking? Look in verse 19. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Joseph's a good dude. He doesn't want to cause a fuss, but he does want to end this, this arrangement this marriage quietly he just, he just wants to get out of there um, But the problem is that if Joseph gets out of this marriage uh, the whole family tree of verses 1 to 17 it's, it's useless because it's Joseph's family tree it's Joseph's family tree Joseph is the royal descendant if he divorces Mary now it's a bit like Spider-Man never being bitten by the spider There is no story if this marriage is ended. So it's very important that the Lord intervenes. Look at verse 20. The Lord intervenes. But after he, Joseph, had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And Joseph obeys. (laughs) He does. Look at verse 24, kind of down the end. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but he did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Got to see what Matthew is is doing here. Uh, Matthew is securing Jesus' royal status. Jesus is the legal heir of David's throne. He's the legal king of Israel. The royal line comes down to Joseph and As Joseph names Mary's son Jesus, it says he names him Jesus, that is effectively Joseph adopting this son as his own. He is adopting him into the royal line. This is Matthew's point. This is how Jesus can be king. Feels a bit like cheating to us, though, doesn't it? I'll just adopt you in. (laughs) It's not really how we would do things now, but. Uh, it's pretty common in the ancient world. This is how the Roman emperors did it. Ali's going to show you the Emperor Tiberius. He was the emperor for a lot of Jesus' life. But he was the adopted son of the next one, who is Augustus, who was the adopted son of the next one, Julius Caesar. You see how it works in the ancient world. They're all adopted into the royal line, like Tiberius was adopted into the royal line, so too is Jesus adopted into the royal line. Matthew is securing Jesus as king. Jesus is the king. Matthew has to do all of this work because the birth of Jesus is so weird. A virgin birth, I think this is a little embarrassing, isn't it, for Christians today to have to confess a virgin birth. We know that that's not how it works at all. Uh, We we even confessed it in the creed together, didn't we? Uh, I believe in Jesus Christ who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. If it's in the creed, it's clearly an important part of Christian belief. it's so weird. So why is it so important that uh, Jesus was born from a virgin? Well, there is a core theological truth at stake here. Yes, at Church, we get you to think hard about theology. There's a core theological truth at stake here. The core theological truth is this. The two natures of Jesus, the two natures of Jesus. What I mean is, Jesus is one hundred percent human and one hundred percent God. One hundred percent human and one hundred percent God. Now I did an arts degree, right? But even I know that that maths doesn't stack up. But I'm just fumbling for words to try and describe a divine kind of mystery, a deep mystery of the gospel. Jesus is born from a woman. He is fully human. Jesus is born from God. He is fully God. He isn't 50% human and 50% God. No, he's fully human and fully God. He isn't 100% human and not God, but used by God. No, he isn't um, 100% God. It just looks like a human. No, he is fully God and fully human. Said another way, uh, Jesus is God become human. Jesus is God become human. He is still God, now he is human as well. It's very complicated. Why on earth would Jesus do this? Why would God become human? Well, the clue is in his boring name. This is point two, a boring name. Jesus is given a very boring name, actually. I mean, it's boring in the way that Josh or Emily are boring names now. Those are boring names because they were the two most popular baby names of the 2000s. Everyone knows a Josh or an Emily, and uh, those are boring names. Everyone knows a Jessica or a Sarah or a Lachlan. Everyone in the first century knew a Jesus. It's just a very common name. Here's a picture of an ancient tomb in Jerusalem. We've got 71 tombs like this from Jerusalem, from roughly Jesus' time, where they buried a guy named Jesus. 71, which is a lot, which means Jesus is a common, boring name. And Joseph is... Explicitly told by an angel to name his unique son this name. Why this name? In verse 21, look at verse 21. Uh, The angel says to Joseph in this dream, She, Mary, will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Um, I don't even know if if, if Joseph needed a divine messenger to tell him this. He probably had a one-in-four chance of naming him this anyway. It was such a common name. But why that name? (laughs) Uh, uh, Just like Joshua is the most common name for boys in the 2000s, Joshua is is essentially the same name as Jesus. It means the same thing. Uh, Ali's got a slide for you. They mean Yahweh is salvation, or perhaps... Yahweh saves, Yahweh is is God's name God is salvation, God saves in the Old Testament we see God save his people over and over again it's just what he does, Yahweh saves his people out of Egypt, Yahweh saves his people from the Assyrian invasion Yahweh saves his people over and over again and in Jesus, Yahweh saves his people again Because they need saving. They need a saviour. We've got in the first couple of verses of Matthew this long list of Israel's kings. And they're rubbish. They haven't saved anyone. Um, Matthew's point here, I think, is that uh, this list of kings they sinned, they murdered and abused and lied and stole and then they'd have a son who would murder and abuse and lie and steal, who would have a son, who would do it over and over again. All of this sin, all of this this wrongdoing, is kind of built up like a callus, and there is nothing these people can do to save themselves. What Matthew is showing us here is, when God becomes human, it's like a circuit breaker. He is the one who will stop this cycle of sin, who will... What does the angel say? Save his people from their sins. Finally, we needed God to do it and break the circuit. So notice two things here. The first thing is, this is Jesus' job description. Saving his people from their sins. Matthew tells us right at the beginning of, of his gospel, of his biography of Jesus, this is what Jesus has come to do. This is what you should expect me to describe Jesus doing for the next 28 chapters. This is Jesus' job description, saving his people from their sins. And number two, while, while Jesus' name means Yahweh saves, the angel tells us that Jesus will save, that Jesus will save. This child, born from the Holy Spirit, is described as doing something only God does. So Matthew is describing Jesus here not just as a king, not just as a saviour, but as God. Jesus is the God-man. Yep. Fully human, fully God. And he is this so that he can save us from sins. Forget those superhero movies where the aliens come into earth and, and save earth. Have you seen Eternals yet? Have you seen this movie? Show of hands, who's seen this movie? Oh, there are a couple. Uh, This group of alien super beings are sent to save Earth, right? Lucy and I. Oh, yesterday was our 11th wedding anniversary. Thank you, yes. And we decided to celebrate by watching a movie together. After we had kids, we barely watched movies together. And so we watched, we didn't watch Eternals, it got a Rotten Tomatoes rating of 48%, so we're not going to bother with that. It's a rubbish idea anyway, the idea that something out there can save us on our behalf. That's rubbish. It's never going to work. It's got to be one of us that saves us from sin. It's got to be a human who saves us from sin because sin is a human problem. Sin is a human problem. It's got to be a human solution. So God becomes human. He does it for us. And he does it as one of us. This boring name of Jesus, it's actually really good news. It's good news. He can save you from your sins. I don't know what you've done in your past that you feel guilty about. I don't know what you've said, or thought, or done, or not done. But I suspect that all of us probably have something we regret something we lament doing. This baby, named Jesus, saves you from that. Isn't this boring name good news? And Matthew tells us that this is all to fulfil a sign that is first given to the prophet Isaiah. So point three, a fulfilled sign. A fulfilled sign. Essentially, Matthew tells us that we should have seen this coming. Look in verse 22. Verse 22. Now all this took place to fulfil what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, quoting Isaiah chapter 7 that we read earlier. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. This is the first time that Matthew in his biography describes something as um, a fulfilment. Uh, So it's worth spending a bit of time working out what Matthew means because he will call a lot of things in his biography a fulfilment. Here's what he means. So imagine Matthew writing his biography of Jesus. Uh, Imagine that he's got his Old Testament open to that passage we read before, Isaiah chapter 7. In Isaiah chapter 7, Matthew reads a promise that a virgin will give birth to a son and the son's name is Emmanuel. God is with us. Now, it's not that uh, Isaiah, writing 700 years before Matthew, has seen 700 years into his future and has seen Jesus. It's not that Matthew thinks Isaiah has, has seen 700 years into the future to see Jesus. No, prophecy in the Bible doesn't tend to work that way. In fact, it's, it's kind of the other way around. This isn't Isaiah looking into his distant future and seeing Jesus. This is Matthew looking into the past and seeing Jesus there. This is Matthew looking into the scriptures, into the Old Testament, and seeing Jesus there. And he will do this a whole bunch in his biography. This is how Matthew understands Jesus, by finding him in the Old Testament. And here he sees in uh, the prophet Isaiah a pattern that is fulfilled or filled in in Jesus. This pattern that is fulfilled or filled in in jesus so we read isaiah chapter 7 before what's going on there is a a geopolitical crisis actually it's genuine a genuine and credible threat of war against the nation judah and king ahaz of judah is very worried that he is going to find himself in the position of ukrainian president Zelensky, right and uh, find an invading force coming at him uh terrifying now in Isaiah chapter 7, the Lord gives King Ahaz a promise that they will not be invaded. You will not be invaded," He promises. And he gives a sign, and the sign is this: there's going to be a baby born, and before the baby's old enough uh, before he's old enough to know right from wrong, while he's still a toddler, these threatening nations who are threatening to invade you, they will themselves be wiped out. That's what Isaiah chapter 7 is a sign of. God saving his people from military invasion within the next couple of years. Yahweh is salvation. That's what Jesus means. And Matthew's read this sign and seen in it a pattern of a much larger, cosmically significant salvation. A a saving act by God. Isaiah sees a child born as a sign of God's salvation Matthew sees a child born as a sign of God's salvation Jesus is the child born who will save his people from their sins Yahweh is salvation this child this is our king this God man our saviour yes what a good king he is the kind of king that i want to follow and he is the one we follow here at christian fellowship Uh, we are disciples of the king followers of the king and we want our campus to know and to follow this king as well so would you join us this year in following this king would you join us as we seek to know and live and speak the good news that (laughs) yahweh saves that the king is born Friends, come and live in the kingdom of grace. In the kingdom of grace, we are saved from our sin and together we live for the risen King. Let me pray. And after that's our normal practice at Unity Church to uh, have question time. So uh, we'll do question time after I pray. Let me pray first. Our loving Father, thank you for this baby, our saviour. It was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born from the Virgin Mary. When we could not save ourselves, you intervened to save us. So, Father, please strengthen us by your life-giving spirit to follow Jesus on campus this year and beyond. All praise and glory to you. Amen. Well, friends, we, uh, uh, the way we run Question Time is you stick your hand up, you ask a question, and I have a go at answering it. There's another way to do that as well, and um, these outlines are from pre-COVID days when we could collect paper. We don't do that anymore but there's a QR code here and uh, if you get out your phone you can scan that and if you don't want to stick your hand up and ask a question you can ask a question that way that will go to Google Form. You can ask a question. It's also a chance for you to share your details with us if you'd like to keep up to date with what is happening at Christian Fellowship you can uh, share your phone number or your name or just say hi through this. Another way to do that is the Facebook uh, Facebook page, like Christian Fellowship on Facebook. Uh, so I'll leave you to fill this in yourself if you've got questions, but otherwise uh, if you've got any questions, Steve Craig's already there. Yes, Craig? Uh, what's the relationship between the name Emmanuel and Jesus? What's the relationship between the name Emmanuel and Jesus? Um, it's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus is kind of given two names here, isn't it? Um, uh, verse 21, you are to name him Jesus this was to fulfill verse 23, and they will name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And then verse 25, and they named him Jesus. They're two different names, aren't they? And I think that's not uncommon in the scriptures for people to have a few different names. Um, uh, names mean things. Names have meanings. Uh, my name might not have much of a meaning. I'm not warlike. Um, PC Rod Banks, that's kind of just a funny coincidence, isn't it? But the fact that Jesus is named Jesus is not a coincidence, and uh, I think uh, Emmanuel is a, a name that he is is, is kind of um, describes him. So you might have a nickname. I, I once had a friend who's, who was nicknamed Sponge because he didn't talk; he would just stand in a conversation and soak it all up. And so his name kind of described him, didn't it? And I think it, Eman, uh, Emmanuel, God is with us, is something like that, kind of a description of. Of who Jesus is very significant. God is with us. God is with us. Yes, God is with us, um, and He is with us to save us. It's a good question. Thank you. Anything else, Alicia? I'm not sure if I missed it, but you say so you said not like it's not Isaiah looking forward to the future with the Holy Spirit, like leading him in what's right, but instead Matthew looking back and seeing Jesus in the past, like. Jesus obviously wasn't there 700 years before. I always thought it was, like, the prophecies were spirit-led. Yeah. And they wrote that, and therefore, because God knows. So what do you mean by that? What do I mean by it's not Isaiah looking forward so much as it's Matthew looking backwards? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I certainly don't want to suggest that the Holy Spirit is not involved in Isaiah prophesying. Certainly the Holy Spirit is involved in Isaiah prophesying. What I mean to say is that in Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah is talking about something that is about to happen in the next two years. And uh, we read all the way through to the beginning of chapter 8. Because in chapter 7, he says, there will be a baby born. And in the first couple of verses of chapter 8, there is a baby born, Mahashal al-Hashbaz, what a name that is. What's that mean? Quick to the plunder, faster the slaughter, or something like that? Uh, speeding to the plunder, hurrying to the spoil. I don't think that describes him. I think it describes the political situation at the time. Uh, But what I mean to say is that Isaiah is not... uh, Isaiah is speaking to his contemporaries. Isaiah is not uh, saying words that will have no meaning for 700 years. He is speaking to his contemporaries about their political and, let's say, life-threatening situation. And when Isaiah says uh, a baby will be born... He means that a baby will be born in the next nine months or so. And I think that it, uh, that happened. Uh, uh, what I mean to say is... Uh, ...Isaiah is not thinking this won't be relevant for 700 years. It's relevant for him today. Now, of course, you're right to say that uh, Isaiah is speaking by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit knows much more than Isaiah does. Uh, you said something like Jesus wasn't around 700 years... Ago, uh, before he was born. I, He's born. yeah, body. Yeah, not his body, but you're right. I would, I would suggest that he, he was. Uh, because one of the things we confess as Christians is that the Son, that, uh, God the Son is eternally God. Uh, uh, so when Matthew sees in Isaiah a pattern that is fulfilled in Jesus, I think this pattern is patterned on Jesus and so what comes first Isaiah or Jesus Jesus comes first and that is what defines what Isaiah sees Jesus comes first and that is what defines what Isaiah sees what Isaiah sees is the pattern that will be fulfilled in Jesus definitely Um, uh, Matthew is very clear that this is all fulfilled in Jesus and uh and that by the Holy Spirit. Uh, I think it's very difficult to try and read prophecy well. I'm trying to describe how Matthew is reading the prophecy. If, uh, if I've talked for enough, I think. If that's enough, come and grab me. And grab me. <laughs> Thanks, that's a fantastic question. Any others? No, nothing. Last chance. Oh, Yes. Yeah. That's why. Anyway, so with Yahweh, so that's God's name, correct? Why is it that we don't use that name and we just say God? Like, why is it He's just given the title God? Like, I know in some parts it's like, oh, it's like too holy for me to say. Then it then writes the name down. Yes, it's it's a great question. uh, Why do we not call God Yahweh? Why do we call Him God? Without thinking too hard, I'm going to say, because of the traditions that we come from, Um, I think in the old translation, in the old Holman translation, they translated they translated it Yahweh into English. But they've gone they've gone back because it's just not our practice in English to call God Yahweh. We call Him the Lord. We call Him God. And uh, um, in Jewish tradition, um, they've uh, they kind of forgot God's name. What I mean is, uh, in Jewish tradition, God's name was so holy that you would not say it. You would, rather than saying his name, you would say the Lord. You would say Adonai. And so they even went so far as to kind of um, use the, uh, the way that Hebrew works is that it's got consonants and then you do dots for vowels. Um, they went so far that they had the consonants of God's name and they used the vowels of the name, the Lord. So you kind of have to... We've kind of guessed, really, at the pronunciation Yahweh, which is why you have Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah was an old guess at how you pronounce God's name. Um, the short answer is, I think, basically, uh, because of Jewish reverence for the Lord, um, they, uh, they they went so far as to not pronounce his name. Uh, I'm, I'm okay saying saying Yahweh because I think that's the name God has given us to say but uh, yeah, I don't know I've not really thought too hard about it it's just kind of my culture to call the Lord rather than Yahweh it's a good question though okay uh, any last takers? no? alright fantastic uh, I'll leave it there and uh, if you've got any more questions write them on the, uh, the the Google form that your QR code will take you to Come and grab me afterwards. Love to chat.